what we're doing today is to transport soya beans and these sardines all over the world to places like Norway and also Canada, Chile and so on. We transport this feed all over the world, feed it to salmon and then we fly by airplane the salmon to other markets like from Norway to the United States. This model makes a lot of good money for the industry, but for the planet as a whole, this is not a good model. And we should think about better, more modern ways to do this. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. Those of you who've listened to the show for a while know that my professional work is centered around sustainable nutrition, and specifically omega-3s. I got my start working in the fish oil industry years ago with Nordic Naturals, a Norwegian-owned fish oil and nutrition company. I've since pivoted purely to the world of algae for many reasons, really the center of which is that I really don't believe there are many sustainable fishing solutions anymore, and that fish farming just isn't the solution that we need. So we're finally going to have the opportunity to talk about that today and deeply. You see, there's algae out there that can be grown a multitude of ways. They don't have to negatively impact marine life. And it's where fish get their omega-3s in the first place. That's the reason I made the pivot in the first place, right? I've talked with you about the realities of overfishing, of climate change, impacts not only on the algae species that grow and thrive in the wild, which actually impacts the nutrient profile of the fish that eat them. I've shared the fact that I don't like farmed fish for many reasons and that I've stepped away from eating fish for the most part. But I never really got the chance to explore with you the realities of why, with depth, until now. You see, farming, and some animals in particular, is just problematic from the start. In the world of aquaculture, fish farmers see their work as the solution to declining wild animal stocks, and even part of the solution to take fish and then release them into the wild, do kind of this hybrid approach to fish farming. But the reality is that we have some major blunders along the way. We've made some major blunders. Even those fishing communities around the globe that are really known for their work, like those in Scandinavia and in Norway, where I have a bit of experience. Now, I've mentioned this before, but in the book Four Fish by Paul Greenberg, he revealed that we essentially chose the wrong four fish to try and farm. And those were specifically salmon, tuna, sea bass, and cod. So today we're going to dig deep into this conversation as we focus on salmon and learn from an investigative journalist and a Norwegian himself, Simon Setra. Simon has written six books on themes including the international chocolate industry, oil states, and a spy in the Norwegian army. His thought-provoking books have been acclaimed and nominated for prizes. His most recent work, The New Fish, was co-authored with Kjetil Osli. It dives into the truth about farmed salmon and the consequences we can no longer ignore. It was released by Patagonia Press this summer and is available wherever books are sold. It's even available as an audible audiobook. Simon Setra, welcome to the show. Thank you. I have to say, 
for me, a book like this is a bit of a page turner. It also feels like it comes as a natural next step to my earlier conversation with another Patagonia Press author who wrote Cracked, all about our issues with, what do you call them? Just creating fish ladders to say that dams are going to be okay for hydroelectric power and then resulting in not having the right pathways open so salmon can get upstream to do their spawning and then impacting marine ecosystems and the forests that they would be in. So so this is almost a natural next step. That episode was Stephen Hawley on Cracked, which is all about the crumbling infrastructure of the world of dams, specifically in the Pacific Northwest. So we're going from the Pacific Northwest to Norway. I would love for you to tell me just what compelled you to write this book this time. Yeah, um, it actually started with um, Kjetil, my co-author. Kjetil, he has been interested in angling. He's a good fisher and was fishing for many years, many summer. Then they saw that, yeah, he was also fishing for wild salmon. And Kjetil and other people, they saw that wild salmon was disappearing from the rivers. You know, he had been there all the time for so many years and it has been part of Norwegian culture so many years. And people spent their holidays going to the rivers, fishing salmon, taking them home and freezing them, eating them during the winter. But the fish disappear. And I think this motivated Shetter when he came to me at the weekly newspaper where I worked. I worked as an investigative reporter and in my newspaper uh, called the Morgenbladet means the, the morning or something. We had covered uh, science and scientists from many. So what we started to look into this issue with salmon and science, salmon scientists, and we saw that many of these people who worked with salmon, did the research on salmon, they were harassed by the industry and they got big problems when they got findings around salmon that the industry didn't like. So that was kind of a little bit surprising because you wouldn't think that salmon could be so controversial. It's a big business, right? So, Salmon farming is a very big business, important to many people. And that's why we started to dig into this topic. And actually, we didn't expect so many readers, scientists, and salmon doesn't sound that sexy or interesting. When we turned out some of those articles, it was like um, unbelievable. So many people read them. So many people got engaged. We got a lot of new tips, a lot of new leads. Before you knew it, you had a book. Yeah, that was how it all started. And we just continued. After the series in the newspaper, we wrote this book and ended up spending five years investigating the industry. So you make some points in the book that I personally, I knew would be reality without having to read it. <laughs> but, you know, that's a lifetime spent in the world of fish oil and omega-3s. I've officially been in this space since 2002. So old enough for an American to go get a bottle of beer. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I have a lot of knowledge about this. I have a lot of context too. And the reality is that, you know, you're talking about something that is so endemic to culture. You mentioned people go for their fishing holidays and come home with salmon or with cod or something to that effect. They're they're going fishing and taking it home and freezing it and being able to tell stories of catching the fish. I mean, this is endemic to Scandinavian culture as a whole and definitely Norwegian where fjords abound. Now, you are also pointing to the fact that 
this is essentially since salmon farming has really existed at scale that the fish populations are declining in the wild and that there's a connection to these two things. And this is also probably an unpopular thought and unpopular in Norway or controversial. I actually wondered, I'm like, as you guys are writing this, is there a hit been put out on you? Did you fear for your life? Not really. It's more subtle. I mean, I keep fair for my career that people would try to undermine my credibility and such things. But I must say, I have met the industry in many debates and I had a lot of interesting conversations with them and they are not evil people. No, they think they're doing good too, you know? Yeah, they think and, and there's a lot of people in the industry that want to make good solutions. We want to kind of support the progressive people out there, also in the industry, that want to make things more progressive, more climate-friendly, more environmental-friendly, more helping out for small communities, and to make better life for the fish. A better life for the fish. Now, let's talk about what this fish farming looks like today. I mean, most salmon is farmed in open pens that are on the ocean. And because of some of the problems that exist with waste products sitting as a kind of cylinder underneath, I have heard from fish farmers that they move the nets from place to place so that they're able to get the benefits of the micronutrients that are in the ocean. But since they're not in a single set place constantly, that they are less likely to have some of the detriments of being in these open net pens. I'd love for you to talk about the problems of salmon fishing, why they're of such issue, and what we as consumers of fish or other nutrition sources can do about this whole problem. So there are several problems that are kind of intertwined. First, I mentioned the problem of wild salmon in the river that dies out, disappears. The problem is that farmed salmon escapes from these pens. So it can be, for example, a storm or bad weather, and these pens are destroyed. And a lot of farmed salmon, thousands or maybe millions of these farmed salmon escapes, goes to the river, and there they meet the wild salmon. And these farmed salmon and the wild salmon are kind of getting mixed up. And some of them also may to get small fishes together. And this weakens the wild salmon stocks. So this is actually a big threat to wild salmon. You must remember that there are so many more farmed salmon than wild salmon. If you take all wild salmon in Norway and gather them together, you can actually put them into only two or three of these pens. And how many pens are in Norway? If you were just to take the country of Norway, how many pens? There's so many production facilities and all these production facilities, I mean hundreds, they have many pens each. So it's getting such a big industry and that means also that the wild salmon is very vulnerable. There's also the problem with salmon lice. So there's this small copepod, just a small salmon louse that sticks to the salmon. It's a parasite, so it eats from the at salmon. At the gills and at the flesh, right around the gills mostly, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so they lodge on, kind of stuck on. They look like tiny little flat crabs to me, you know, like our, a flat shrimp. Like it's something that's, because it's got an outer shell, but it doesn't free swim ever, really. It just attaches to the fish and stays there. 
Yeah, that's true. So you can think when you have all these millions of farmed salmon gathered together in very small places, this is like paradise to these small parasites. And they spread so unbelievably quickly, like wildfire. Only with a few of these lice coming into the pens, they can start to spread very quickly and suddenly all the salmon that are affected. And this lice also spreads to the floating in the water and they also spread to the wild salmon. So this is also a major threat to the wild salmon. Then you have the problem with this lice that the industry wants to fight these lice. So they end up using all sorts of chemicals to combat the lice and these cocktails of chemicals that are actually poisonous and they're poisonous to the fish as well. They end up in them. And then we're consuming this fish that is marketed as Norwegian salmon. And people assume that it's wild when they go to buy it, but unless it says wild on it, you have to assume it's farmed at this point. The same problem exists here in the States with Atlantic salmon. Atlantic salmon is a species of salmon. And so people think they're buying wild when they buy Atlantic salmon, but it's not wild. It's actually farmed unless it says wild. And and believe me, every time it is wild, it will say wild because they can charge a higher price for that, a premium for that. So we have thousands upon thousands, perhaps, of more pens full of these farmed salmon than wild salmon. We have the problem of the sea lice impacting them and then attaching to them. They escape, they infect wild populations or even the free swimming wild populations that come anywhere near the nets. They could also get infected with these sea lice. The sea lice attach onto them and eat their flesh and essentially result in the nickname of whiteheads for the fish that are it's really, really gross, right? You think about it, it's because you start to be able to see their skulls. They may even go blind. They don't have eyes anymore and they're swimming around. And then what do we make assumptions about like the fish not feeling it? Of course they feel it. They have nerves too. And they're living a miserable existence and then end on our dinner plate. But so many of them expire. They just die this way because of how we're growing them, how we're farming them. So in that book, Four Fish by Paul Greenberg, he really dives into how we chose the wrong four fish, understanding that the fish have life cycles that are complex and that need to, within the case of salmon, they start in the river and then they go out to the ocean and then they come back to the river to spawn. And we're trying to recreate some of these conditions, but it's never the same. And then you have the fish existing in these pens that are concentrated. You could call them like KFOS of the sea, concentrated animal farming operations. That's absolutely what they are. They're just technically on open water, but in a pen. And then... Yeah, they're like big salmon factories, really. Yeah. And then they have all of their waste sits right underneath them. So you have concentrated waste in the water. And then you have treatment of all these chemicals that go into the water that then end up polluting the ocean longer term and having unknown consequences. So much so that salmon was even found to potentially be carcinogenic with the levels of pollutants that are present in them. I mean, big fishing like went up against these ideas and said, oh, well, you know, that's not exactly true. And you get more of these toxins if you eat, I don't know, some oatmeal in the morning or something like that, like trying to make these parallels to dispel the idea that these are problems, but the problems are there. We're getting more PCBs, dioxins, furans, and then these chemicals that they use to treat the sea lice. Like, I think one of them is called slice, if I remember correctly from reading your book. How many chemicals are 
Well, they have used some different chemicals like hydroperoxide, and there's many. The problem is that they used this insecticide or this this poison too much, so the salmon louse actually got uh, resistant. They used it so much that it got resistant, and suddenly these chemicals didn't work anymore. So the um, industry, the salmon farmers, they kind of panicked. And they had to find very quickly new methods to fight the salmon louse. And they came up with these methods that had good intentions, but they also had some unintended consequences. For example, they employed uh, what they called cleaner fish. It means that they fish up all their small fish from the sea, like something called uh, ras. And these small fishes, they swim into the salmon, they eat the lice, that's food for them. At least in theory, they should do this. Often they don't, but in theory they do this. But the thing is, these other fish, the cleaner fish, when they get to their new environment in the salmon pens, like a fish out of water, they don't belong there. They get sick when they get to this new environment. They get eaten by the salmon or they just disappear. So... Actually, every day in Norwegian salmon pens, something like 37,000 of these cleaner fish just disappear. This is, according to lawyers, this is actually a breach of the animal welfare law. Uh, Norway is like using these fishes to eat lies in this production. They also, as I mentioned, they panicked. They had to find new methods very quickly. They also put the salmon into hot water. Then the lice fell off so that was like intended but also the salmon started to panic when it suddenly came into hot water it would be for us humans it would be like if someone suddenly threw us into a boiling bat tube yeah it makes no sense they are cold water animals yeah it would affect their slime coat too that's not healthy for them yeah that's true yeah so they panic they get bones their immune system is hurt, and many of these fish actually die when they are affected with this. So that means death counts of salmon has gone very high. Like in parts of Norway, if you put four salmon into the sea, one of them will die before the time for them to get harvested or slaughtered. So for one in every four, that means 25% of salmon that are put into the sea pens doesn't make it to full to harvest. They don't make it to full scale. I think they're put in the pens when they're, are they six months or a year old, something like that, because they're grown in a hatchery first, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're grown in a hatchery. And when they're ready for it, it depends, you know, how long time this will take. But as you indicate, maybe six months or something like that, maybe more. And it, they're put to sea and they will live there maybe for two years or something. It depends time of the year and such things. So this brings me to the question I have about what is called the colloquially the frankenfish, because there is a genetically modified salmon strain that had been designed to reach adulthood much more quickly. So they would get to what a typical fledgling would go from, you know, maybe it take them six months before you could put them in sea to something like three or four months. And so they just grew that much more quickly. And they required less feed to reach their full size. So I compare it, let's say, if you're familiar with to the horse world, if you 
are familiar with horses, you could have a thoroughbred that's like lean boned and strong and tall or something like a Clydesdale that's just beefier and chunkier and they don't even need as much food to grow as big as they do. They're just more efficient. But this was something we essentially genetically engineered, not we, me, but you know, the fishing industry to create salmon that could be hardier, that could reach its full weight more quickly, that could be harvested sooner. So instead of spending two to three years before they would be harvested, they could be harvested at 18 months. I don't know if this actually got to the point where it is in circulation or in use in Norway, but I know that that was part of conversations that were being had at some point in the history. I also think that fishermen in general, or the fish farmers, I should say, that they were looking to this as a savior because they thought it could mean that you would get a higher yield, like higher percentage of these fish reaching the harvest age because there'd be less time for things to go wrong, so to speak, right? So you might go from one in four loss to maybe one in six, and that would be therefore less expensive. And that's why it's hearkened as being like the solution to feed humanity with healthy fish but healthy fish that's full of chemicals, a lot of which we added, and some of which are known to be carcinogenic, so much so that the wild counterpart salmon is much more healthy than you could almost consider the farmed fish to be, I don't know, a not healthy food, yet people are going to salmon as a healthy food constantly. You go to your sushi restaurant to get a salmon, a sake, little treat, whatnot, and, and it's farmed. I mean, all of it at this point. So to your point, thousands of pens to just two or three, maybe of the fish that are found in the wild as the case of Norway, an environment that has been known for how many fish are in your waters. How is this affecting other fish populations? Like, have you found, is it affecting cod or is it affecting herring? Not necessarily these specific kinds, but the salmon it has to eat other fish. It's a carnivore, so it had to be feeded, and the industry wants to make this feed, you know, as efficient as possible, as cheap as possible. And now they use a lot of plants like soya grown in Brazil, big fields there, and transport them to the feed factories, but they also have to use fish. And what they do is they catch a lot of pelagic fish, like small fishes, for example. They select this fish for this with big boats around in the world and make fish meal and fish oil out of it. And this fish meal and fish oil is added or combined with the soya and fava beans and other things, and they make feed, so feed of, uh, some of it of it. I'm sorry, but, but the fact that we're feeding soy and fava beans to salmon is ridiculous. I don't know a world where salmon evolved eating beans. Yeah. So the thing is, if the point was to make more food in the world, it would be better for us humans to eat that fish and that soya and the beans that goes into the salmon feed. That would be far more effective. More efficient. More efficient. Yeah, we're losing 25% of the salmon already, right? So you've wasted everything you fed that 25%. Yeah, actually, there's some places where local people could have eaten that fish. For example, in West Africa, on the coast of West Africa, it would be better if local people could have eaten that small sardines, that fish, 
instead of selling them to these huge companies, making feed of them. And we know the people who live there in the West Coast of Africa, they can't afford the, the salmon, but they could have maybe could have afforded the sardines if they could eat that. So this is a problem in the whole overall food system. It's because we've made salmon fashionable. We've made it a popular fish. Yeah. According to the salmon industry, they do a service with making more food to the world. But actually, the more salmon you produce, the less food do we get because the salmon is actually eating food that we could have eaten instead. Not necessarily the most popular idea because people, perhaps outside of Norway more, but don't necessarily like to go to sardines and anchovies for their fish meat. It's actually delicious. They should eat it more. They are delicious. So I've spent some time in Norway eating fish and every variety that you could consider. I never understood before having spent time there that you would even think of putting something like fish roe in, in a tube, kind of like a toothpaste tube. But that's very common there, and it's delicious. You put it on crackers and things like that. The pickled herring, sardines, anchovies, even in Italy, enjoying Ligurian seafood stews that incorporate sardines, or going to a restaurant in the Cinguaterra area and finding the regional dish that is really well known there is sardines marinara sauce. So it's like tomato sauce with sardines and potatoes. So the potatoes are in place of the pasta. Just exploring meals like this and learning that a fresh sardine actually tastes really divine. Like It doesn't have to be like the canned thing that you are necessarily used to that's smoked. And maybe you don't like that smoke flavor. It's soaked in Louisiana hot sauce. Maybe you don't like Louisiana hot sauce or mustard. I happen to like those varieties. But the other thing to consider is if we are going to pelagic fish like sardines and anchovies, these smaller bodied fish, they're very high in omega-3s, they're low on the food chain, they're not carnivorous fish. So they eat algae and the algae has omega-3s, so then they get the benefits of that. And we can actually get a direct source of those nutrients along with calcium and all sorts of other vital nutrients that our bodies need to thrive. Now, I will always even though I don't eat very much fish anymore. But if I am somewhere where I can go fishing and catch my own, I will eat that fish. <laughs> I mean, there's something about that kind of connection to the environment when you can commune with nature, when you can catch a fish on your own. Even having taken some recent vacations to places where people used to fish, I'm seeing there aren't as many fish in the rivers and people are coming home at the end of the day with their nets empty. You know, there's so many sources in the ocean, so many delicious things to eat there. And we only eat a tiny bit of it still. And there's so many ways we could use these resources instead of feeding them to salmon. Actually, what we're doing today is to transport soya bean and these sardines all over the world to places like Norway and also Canada, Chile, and so on. We transport this feed all over the world, uh, feed it to salmon, and then we fly by airplane the salmon to other markets, like from Norway to the United States. Well, this model makes a lot of good money for the industry, but for the planet as a whole, this is not a good model, and we should think about better, more modern ways to do this. And I think also there's so many people out there who are, Young people who are conscious about what they eat, like vegetarian, environmentalists, and so on. And I think 
if they read the book and get to know how this is produced, I think they will start to ask questions. How can we use this better? Can we buy other kinds of fish instead of salmon, use other kinds of fish? There are so many opportunities and it's a shame that we are stuck with salmon as the solution. Yeah. Well, it has become what I would say is probably America's most popular fish to consume at restaurants and other places. Yeah, you see on the menu other fish like sea bass or halibut. Perhaps sometimes you'll also see cod, and especially if you're getting fish and chips at a British pub or something to that effect. But we don't see a ton of species of fish on the menu, and very rarely do we see anything like sardines. The only space that we see something like anchovies is perhaps at a pizzeria or on top of our Caesar salad. Yeah, I actually went to a restaurant today and they served mackerel. Mackerel, yeah. It's strange. There's so many mackerel in the sea, uh, just outside Norway, where I live. But very rarely they serve it in Russia. It's actually a delicious fish. Yeah. So as it stands today, do you think that things can change positively within the salmon fishing industry to get to a point where it becomes a viable option that doesn't negatively impact our ecosystems and wild fish populations? Or is it just a non-starter? Is this something we should just never have started? We need to think about short-term and long-term and different solutions. I think that the first step would be for consumers to gain some knowledge for people who eat salmon to read up a little bit, to get a little bit more informed about how things works. And if people do that, there could maybe be more alternatives in the shop. Like you could buy better options of salmon from better producers but in the end maybe also buy other kinds of fish that are possible to grow more sustainable like fish that eats thing you can find in the water and we should also eat smaller fish like we talked about seaweed and use more of these resources of food that we find in the ocean but the first step to be more conscious consumers and use your power to demand maybe a better fish Well, I think that's part of the reason you called this book The New Fish, right? This isn't just about salmon. It's about the fact that we created something that isn't like necessarily its wild counterpart, can't outcompete it, can perhaps actually kill it off by creating weaker young. Initially, I think the fear before salmon farming really started was that it would get out and outcompete wild populations. And that hasn't happened, as you've said, because you're just not finding the wild stocks there anymore. They've weakened the population because they've grown in conditions that are coddled and they haven't had to experience the same struggles. They haven't taken their early life from the fresh waters, streams and brooks into the ocean and then fought their way back in to expire and feed the forests and all the other microorganisms that live there. So, And they're weaker than their wild counterpart. People should eat wild salmon when they still can, because here in Norway, you can't get it anymore. You can ever go to a store in Norway and buy a wild salmon. Actually, you know, i written this book. I never tasted wild salmon. So I think in the U.S., you can still get it from Alaska or Canada or something. Yeah, sockeye salmon. I can still get it periodically. But I also wanted to share with people a couple of things about your book that I think are really important. For one... This was a book that you wrote originally in Norwegian for the marketplace there. And Yvonne Schonard, Patagonia, said this book needs to see the light of day beyond Norway's shores and had it translated and brought through Patagonia Press. 
I want to personally thank him for having done that because the book is beautiful, but even showcases some interesting campaigns and beautiful pictures throughout. And this is one which actually shows messages like salmon farming and putting it on a pack of Marlboro tobacco (laughs) cigarettes. And so basically the first one in the upper left says Norwegian owned salmon farming kills wild baby salmon. I mean, it doesn't say Marlboro, but it looks like a pack of Marlboros. And so you really kind of had some of these campaigns in the arena of fishing to help and try to reach consumers and and have them understand what's so wrong with something like farm salmon. The fact that we're dyeing its flesh to make it look pink so that it doesn't look gray. The fact that we are spreading diseases and that salmon farming is actually a health hazard to the workers as well as to us because it contains more pollutants than the wild counterparts would and forever chemicals that can damage our health for years and years to come. So I think these are important points, but also just the fact that you have crafted, I mean, so many stories. I feel like I'm reading cliffhangers and spots, even though I have knowledge of the industry as a whole. That's good. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. We wanted it to be, you know, not only to inform people, but also to be a good read, you know, to be fun to read. So, yeah. Well, it's definitely compelling. And I think if people take the time to read it, they'll both understand their food systems and food supplies better. They'll start to ask more questions about where other foods might come from and the impacts on the planet and their health that that could have. And about making wiser choices like you have recommended where, you know, perhaps we shouldn't spend so many resources giving a present food to an animal that will be a secondary food later, like feeding soy and fava beans and all this fish meal to a salmon that we're going to lose at least 25% of and ultimately have a much more expensive equivalent meal on your plate, eating a four ounce of salmon that in that time of creation would have consumed bushels of food, essentially. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Well, I wonder if there were any major surprises that came out of your research, things that you just didn't expect. I don't know. This is such a big industry, such a big topic. So many people eat salmon, but it has been written so little about. There have been so few investigations like this. It's almost that you will believe that more people had digged into it. I think that was a surprise. It's almost the first time that someone has tried to figure what this is about. And it's also fascinating to see this started only in the 1970s. It's less than 50 years old. It's such a new and different kind of food production. So that's also fascinating, I think. And to see how fast it grew from the very start, how they started to make this new fish. They started with wild salmon and they tried to shape it, pairing different types of wild salmon to make it grow faster, to be bigger, fatter, more efficient, which is also like a pioneering history. It's very fascinating to read and to discover for my part. And then I think also it's surprising that I come from Norway. We think it's kind of innocent place. And we didn't know that there was such hard environment or so hard fights within the some people were so cynical Norwegian maybe are a bit naive sometimes we don't see that big business is is big business 
and people play by different rules. So maybe that's something. So if I'm hearing you right, you expect it in a way that the Norwegian coastline culture would be so connected that people wouldn't be making choices willingly to sacrifice what the natural world would be like to make more fish. Is that summing it up pretty well? Yeah, maybe because um, years ago, the summer farmers were like just coastal people, fishermen, farmers with very small businesses. But very quickly, this grew and multinational corporations took over, you know, a little bit more greed, maybe. People started to make a lot more money and this kind of changes the business a little bit. So Simon, I hope that our audience has learned a bit about what this real new fish is like and perhaps why we should be making different choices when we shop for food, consider different questions, and really start to push for change, even if from the bottom. Now, to do so, are there any particular ideas or thoughts that you can leave in the hands of our audience for things that they can do, even how they might shop when they go to the grocery store? I think um, if they know that they are buying salmon, they should ask about the salmon, you know, how is it produced? Where does it come from? Is there a producer that are conscious on production, on ethical things? Um, so they should ask more, you know, be more demanding. Did they use poison against lice? Did the salmon have any parasites? Was the salmon sick in any way? Did it have skin diseases? Did it have wounds? What did the salmon eat? They should ask, is there other producers that are doing better? Could they choose different salmon? And probably by now, maybe they can't. So then they should just buy cod or herring or they should buy sardines or mackerel essentially or... other fish that are caught wild and not farmed that's what you're saying basically how it's like in at least in Norwegian stores and i think also in american stores you can buy any other fish than salmon and it will be more climate friendly so i like white fish a lot so that's probably the best choice right now but yeah they should ask questions they should ask questions now, I know in the Pacific Northwest and up in Alaska, the argument many of these fisheries make, because they aren't necessarily farming in the rings like you see so much of in Norway, there is that style of farming too. But a lot of what is done is they kind of have these hatcheries that are then released to the wild with the thought that they'll then support the wild fish stocks. I mean, they're not wrong. They are supporting wild fish stocks, but the jury is kind of out if that's going to be a long-term viable solution when we also see that fish are not making it as far inland anymore. And part of that is dams, but even part of that could be just a weakening of the population in the wild. So they don't make their journey upstream as far. And we know that trees that are growing in areas where the salmon spawn, they have a growth rate that is double the areas where the salmon do not spawn. And so we're both increasing the health and vitality of our forests, the longevity, the deepness of their roots, the ecosystems there, natural beauty of the land. 
We're supporting all of these things that we don't necessarily think about. And when we farm something like a salmon that is intended to start its life in babbling brooks, end up juvenile stage, swimming out to ocean to then capture the nutrients in the sea and bring them back to the forest. If we've struck out that life cycle and that life purpose, then we've actually created greater damage than we might ever have conceived because it's degrading two environments. It's impacting two entirely different arenas. It impacts the ability of killer whale or orca to live fruitfully because salmon make up such a huge part of their diet too. And so you really have these kind of apex predators in these spaces too that are also affected. So as you're not seeing you know, these small fledgling salmon or even large salmon in streams that were once there, and you are seeing them in pens, are the whales able to eat that food? No. So what happens? And I think that's our biggest fallacy. We as humans, we think we can solve all these problems through coming through a technological perspective, but often nature just knows best and we monkey with it too much. And what happens? We create more problems. We create sea lice issues. We create essentially a situation where the fish's flesh is just crumbling off of it. And so 25% of them die before they could ever reach market. I think what you're saying is important. We should be very careful with uh, manipulating nature or meddling too much with the species or ecosystems because there are so many unintended consequences that we often don't see or it surprises us. So we should be very careful and maybe leave the nature a little bit more to itself sometimes. Well, I just want to thank you so much for your work here. I'm grateful that Patagonia Press translated it into English so that I could read it. And I just want to say to both you and to I'm sorry, I pronounced his name wrong, but is it Sietel? Sietel, yeah. Is it how you say it? Yeah. Sietel, Osli? So even though it starts with a K, I always assumed Kietel, but it's Sietel. Okay. Norwegian. I never mastered that language. I did learn a few phrases and even took Norwegian classes for a while, but it's a very hard language for an American to learn without a lot of exposure. So thank you so much for your work, Simon. This has been phenomenal. Thank you. To learn more about Simon Zetra and his work, visit caremorebebetter.com. There I'm including a direct link to get the book from Patagonia Press. You don't have to benefit the overlords at Amazon to do so. You can pick it up right there. I'll even include Simon's Instagram account. You'll even find connections to earlier episodes where I encourage you to review that content, including the interview I mentioned with Stephen Hawley, who wrote Cracked about the dams of the Pacific Northwest that damaged salmon's ability to thrive. That book is also out of Patagonia Press, so keep an eye on that publisher. I'm loving the work that they're putting into the world. It does so much to help educate us on the major issues that we should all be aware of that affect our climate, that affect our food supply, and so much more. I even saw, and I will nod to Amazon on this one, but when I went to Amazon to see the book was also available on Audible, I noticed that if I put the new fish in my cart, I could also put <laughs> Cracked by Stephen Hawley in my cart at the same time and get them for a savings. So if you're a nerd like me that likes to read about these issues and see these beautiful books in print because they are really phenomenal, they walk you through the story, they provide pictures, they provide examples of ads like the ones I showed you of those genius Marlboro ads, then you can have both of these in hand for reduced cost. And okay, yes, I guess we take the, the devil we know of Amazon with that. <laughs>
Now, if you do shop on Amazon, I have been curating a shop specifically for the authors that I feature so that you can just go to that page and review all the books of guests I've had on the show that can enable you to then also go to my website and look at the particular episodes as well. It's another way to access those books and that's simply amazon.com slash shop and then my name. So slash shop slash Karina Belizzi. I'll also include a direct link on the podcast page for that. Any proceeds from that because it does get a small commission go to support the show. Now, if you like today's episode, please subscribe and set that bell to notify you when new episodes drop each Wednesday, each week, and leave us a review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It will help more people discover the show. Thank you listeners and watchers now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we can do so much more. We can care more. We can be better. We can really even stop this fish farming craze, this manipulation of nature, shift our habits and find better nutrition solutions that don't do such incredible damage to our ecosystems and also to our health. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. 